All right, so this is the first time that we're recording a podcast for the second time because apparently I don't know how to press the record button. In saying that, we've skipped over the unprofessional intro that we did the first time around, trying to play a different, few different tunes. And what we have today is the Australian Athletic Podcast with myself, Mickey, Jazz, Reese, and Adam. As you can tell, we're all enthused at the fact that we have to do this all again, but we didn't get too far into it, and we're just getting to the heat of the discussion. So what we're going to be talking about today is the challenges that we face as coaches on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis, and what we do to overcome them. This is a great job, working in a great industry, but it does come with some of its downfalls, where we have to almost battle uh, each and every day to make sure that we remain positive. So, Jazz. What is one thing that you find as a challenge as a coach? Uh, coming into coaching, it's one thing I learned from the industry as well. I never, I hadn't heard of it before. Was imposter imposter syndrome? So feeling like you're in a role where you either don't deserve it, you don't have enough experience or skill to be successful. So you feel like you're out of your depth, and it's just something that's a bit over your head. And I experienced it plenty when I first started. I didn't know whether I had what it took to be able to be successful in my role? I think it's something that myself and Adam have had a discussion about probably once a month, if not more often, because we struggle with the same thing. It's not something that's uncommon where you know a little bit of information, but then you realise every little thing that you learn, you know a lot less than what you actually I think. I think that's the thing as well, as it gets worse. If anything, like I, I have found I've struggled progress. I like struggled is not to say like I can't come to work, you know what I mean? But it's something I spend more time thinking about the more I coach than I did at the start. Because think about like an internship or something, nobody's really asking your opinion. It's like, hey, here's how you demon in my experience anyway. My internships were largely here's how you do this exercise. And as long as you can demo the exercise and explain the key points of exercise B then you can kind of do that. But it's when people are asking you about programs, what do I do with this? How should I structure my training? When you start getting into deep, more intense questions, then you're like, why would anyone listen to me? You know what I mean? Like that nagging voice in the back of your head that goes, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think it's okay in a sense because you can have the complete opposite where you have the Dunning-Kruger effect where you know a little bit and you think you know everything. Yeah, sure. I think we've seen that plenty. And honestly, I've been guilty of it myself at times. But you also have to give yourself a little bit of leeway. You actually are trying to progressively learn. You are trying to get better. And unfortunately, in a field with so many educational resources, whether it be on social media, journals, other coaches, you realize there is a lot to learn out then you probably will never learn everything. Does anyone else find themselves flip-flopping between imposter imposter syndrome and then feeling like you know everything, you feel really confident and you just go back and forth of going, I know nothing, I feel like I know decent amount then I know nothing again every time just every time about a new topic it's just going down the rabbit hole I know nothing I learn a bit I know no less yeah. I broadly spend the entirety of my life convinced I don't know a thing yeah like for me I, I feel like I very much agree with what you said though you learn something new so for me I try and alleviate not knowing anything by learning more yeah and then I realise that I know nothing, you know what I mean? So learning more in an effort to combat not knowing anything makes me realize more that I know nothing. And that's just an endless cycle for me. So it's like- I'm so just, What would be your strategy to, we're just constantly learning to help you counteract the effect of imposter syndrome? Yeah, that's probably why I spend so much time like reading and whatnot, but I have a lot, I'm like, I'm lucky with the team we've got here that I can talk to one of you every day and kind of say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I think having 
that team around you, having people you can bounce ideas off of is really important. And having mentors where you can go, okay, I think what was really powerful for me was learning that the really experienced coaches that I think the world of as coaches still battle the problem. You know what I mean? Like when you're around people I would consider mentors and then they articulate the same thing, you're like, cool, it's not going away. There's nothing wrong with me, people experience this. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I find out Kingy's got it, Tommy's got it, Keir's got it, whatever. You're like, okay, cool. I really respect that guy as a coach. It's okay that I feel like this. You know what I mean? It's and not. They, like, and they still feel like they know. Yeah, like. that's it. And they know way more than me. So cool. I'm kind of stuck with it, but let's see how we can go around it. I try and keep a journal as well. That helps. Yeah. Because I can write my stupid ideas down and go back and go, okay, I know I've developed. Because the stupid ideas I had, I look back on my programs all the time. The programs I wrote four, five, six years ago, that sucked. I now look at it and go, cool, I have developed. Obviously, because I would never run that program again. Yeah, that's a really good point. Reflecting over what you do, you just keep picking what works. Keep If something something works, I find I'll stick with it and multiple people use it. Yeah. If something doesn't work, it's still there for me to look at, but I can realize, oh, that sucked. Never let it get to the point where you're afraid to try new things. And that's where having a network and a team around you where you can just bounce that idea initially. And then if you get approval from that, in a sense, you could trial it out. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, change it up then. That's There's good. nothing wrong with making mistakes. I think you've got to keep yourself honest. You've got to have a way of knowing whether your program's working and how that is chosen depends on the program you're writing. Like it could be a speed measure, a strength measure, or whatever. But having something that you're answerable to that is objective, for me, that's mostly a speed number. But then having that goes, okay, cool, this isn't working, or this is working. And then I can bounce off of that and try and work out why. I think that honest reflection with yourself and with other people, ideally in a team that you're with, will help as well. Yeah, you need some sort of data and some sort of feedback as well. Yeah, because otherwise you get like that, you know, sort of the famous college sports problem where the squat numbers went up, I did my job. And then it's like, your program hasn't changed in 20 years, but you're still hiding behind a false KPI. I think a silver lining to this topic as well is, as Adam said, he feels the imposter syndrome because he'll see other coaches killing it. He'll read, you know, reviews. He'll read some research that makes him feel like he knows nothing. But the good thing about that is he is following people that are crushing it. So he is in the right direction. Whereas if you're surrounded by people that you see or, you know, you read and you think, oh, I already knew that. Are you going in the right direction? So obviously if someone, you know, if you see a coach doing something and you think, oh, I know more than that, or I already knew that, and you're not feeling imposter syndrome because you're confident in your abilities, are you surrounding yourself by the right people? I think that's probably a really powerful point as well because I think, like, I've, I've worked in particularly one place where you aren't learning, you kind of go stale, and there's nothing more dangerous than an echo chamber. Like, if you don't see anything that challenges your ideas, you've gone stale. So if you think about it in the sense that you have imposter syndrome because you're surrounded by people doing really well and because you feel like you need to do better, you can use that as a positive that you are growing and you are trying to grow and you're surrounding yourself by uh, surrounding yourself with people that are helping you grow. Yeah, that's true. Do we all think imposter syndrome is always, is always a bad thing? I don't, I, don't, no, I, don't, I don't think it's always a bad thing. Like Mickey said, the, the flip side to imposter syndrome is done in Kruger. Yeah. And I don't think anyone that I've met, at least in my time, other than the guys that have been doing this forever, like the 20 year coaches I've met, they're the only ones that are kind of, or they're at the most at peace. They're not completely at peace with it. Time them. in the trenches. Hey. Time in the trenches. Time in the trenches. <laughs> don't get me started. Um, 
you know, they're the ones that are the most at peace with it, but they're not fully dealt with it either. I think I would personally rather constantly question myself and be moving forward rather than never question myself and feel great about myself but not move forward. Yeah. So I take this side of, it's a double-edged sword, but I'd rather this one than the blunt sword. In an industry that's constantly updating the information of what's best to prescribe, yeah. you need to. Well, I think at a certain point as well, like you choose to go into a field like this, you accept that it's fast moving. Like you can't go into IT and complain that IT moves quickly. Well, you chose the industry. Yeah. So like we signed up for this. So opt in and deal with the pros and the cons. Yeah. This is a good way to go into the another thing that I feel personally for myself I've seen and with other people is a issue um, is complacency. Mm-hmm. Is coaches getting complacent with where they are? Not necessarily in a negative way, but it's it's easy to get complacent um especially as a new coach you spend so much of your life getting through uni you know you you do your degree most of the time you do it full time if not you're doing it over a longer time part time and you finally get through that you get your gig you get your job you've just climbed that massive mountain to get there and then you get complacent you sit in your job you get comfortable with where you were and then you think, well, you don't have any more goals. You don't know where to go from there. Or the goal, your next goals is another massive stint of study or, you know, going from low-level coaching to a high-level club and you get complacent. It's either daunting or you don't know where to go. So you just coast. Yeah, I, I think that's the challenge for such. Like the, most of the degrees that people in this field are going to have are very open degrees but like that are sold on the basis of you can do whatever you want with this degree, which is, yeah, cool. What the hell do I do with this degree? So then people go, all right, I'm fairly happy here. Shut the doors, I'm done. You know what I mean? And then that's where you get what you're talking about. You get that just coasting. No criticism. I see how it happens. I've felt this myself for a year here and a year there. It's like running the same program over and over and over and over. Because if you see the same client over and over and over, there's a chance for development. There's also a chance for stagnation. And if you get caught just rolling that same program out over and over, especially if it works, you get caught in that thing where it works for a little while and you keep running it forever. You know what I mean? Or it should work for everyone. So you just program yeah, the same thing for everyone. You know what I mean? And like you run your one by 20 or your three by 10 or whatever program it is that you're cookie cuttering to that. And then you go stagnant. You know what I mean? So I, I, I definitely agree with Bruce. I've seen that in almost everywhere I've been. Except in all honesty, this is probably the first place I've been where I don't see it at all. What are strategies around that then? The network, like you said. Obviously, yeah. always having a network. You gotta have your people, and you know, I think it's really important to me personally. Other people might disagree, but you gotta have someone around you who you will listen to when they say that shit. Because, like, if I saw, I love you all, but if I saw you run that and go super stagnant, I'd be like, dude, that sucks. Don't do that. Yeah. Because I know you'll listen, and you know I'm coming from a good place. I'm not trying to shoot you down. But I would hope that that would happen to me as well. You know what I mean? If I'm running one by 20, three years down the line with some 20 year old athlete who's now way past it, yeah. then someone should be saying to me, dude, sort your shit out. I we, feel like the network is critical for that. We do that as coaches, but we also do it as a business as well. One thing that we like to get out to every couple of months is just go do a training session at another gym and get uh, ass handed to us, no doubt. But we also like to learn, listen, what are they doing well? What aren't they doing well? What could we implement better? because it keeps us honest. Yeah. And as soon as we think that we know everything, as coaches and as a business, is the day that we go downhill. If we're not constantly improving, we're not gonna be the front runners. Yeah. I definitely feel like, say, what we talked about with, say like Jazz mentioned imposter syndrome and Reese mentioned complacency. Sometimes complacency ends up being the wrong solution to imposter syndrome. 
you kind of it's easy to hermit crab yourself into your little shell of shit that you know and hide there and then i've seen this is where i've really seen it get squirrely is coaches just run whatever it is and it's like okay you know if you're a powerlifting coach or something your programs are all gonna look fairly, fairly similar for a reason but if you're working with athletic strength and conditioning then you end up going we're just gonna do a b c those are your kpis boom go that's when you go crappy as a coach and we've all seen examples of that all across the world you know what i mean then i think that's where it really gets squirrely because it can all, almost be they're trying to solve a problem that needs solved and then they come up with the wrong solution and you move from imposter syndrome to stagnation or complacency do you think some people find programs that work and then just want to stick with that because they don't want to take any risks yeah for sure Absolutely. it's comfortable i think some places as well like job security depends on that as well like you look yeah. at some of these guys that are in especially the really cutthroat professional sports that could lose their job as soon as the coach goes that's a dumb idea you're out so i kind of get it in those settings but when you see in private practice i'm like bro what are you doing the thing is in any other industry where it's all about volume 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 yeah if you make bread correctly in a bakery you just have to make that bread more often yeah. you don't have to switch it up to it's which bread you scale. it's yeah. exactly right and as soon as we, we've seen that with online programs but how many online programs work for every single person that's gone out there they don't because yeah. they're cookie cutter they're basic they're a great way to make money and i'm not saying that they're all trash but they don't work for everyone and if you legitimately want to go in the private industry work with individual athletes individual people you have to put in the effort but, behind the think, scenes as you say that as well like if you look at the most commercially successful online programs i've seen the good ones because not all the commercial commercially successful ones are good for sure the ones that are both leave leeway for the individual 531 is so basic that you have to fill out the program yourself yep. starting strength same deal texas method same deal all of those majorly good ones the ones that are cookie cutter are crap we can't we know that you know what i mean and that that leads that complacency as yep. well that one size fits all idea in itself is complacent Except for small love, small love's awesome. <laughs> if, if, you you hate, <laughs> if you hate yourself and your nervous system, run small love. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> and I will say, just to touch on finally, complacency and just being comfortable with running the same thing over and over again can happen as well. If you feel like you're not getting back enough, whether it be personally or financially from your job, the thing that I'll say to avoid that is charge enough for what you offer. If you're charging pennies, for every single session that you're running, you're probably gonna get too many sessions to the point where you have to do the same thing over and over again. What you'd rather do instead, charge a legitimate amount so you can actually put in the time and effort to each individual athlete. It's not necessarily the point I was gonna make, but one of the challenges I have seen in other people, I haven't felt it personally myself in SNC is burnout. And one of the fastest ways to burn out is to get disillusioned with what you're getting out of what you're putting in. And the worst I've seen that happen is when people race to the bottom of prices sell it way too cheap then they get disillusioned because they're not making any money and they're putting in gargantuan hours so minor point i won't dwell on it don't do that like mickey said because you're just going to screw yourself and the entire industry the point i was actually going to make was the difficulty of getting it which can lead to the first one because people have to put in major hours and the only way they feel they can get work is to be cheaper and cheaper and you know, I get where they're coming from, but there's better ways to do it. The challenge of getting into full-time salary work in SNC is out of control at the moment. And I think there needs to be some real changes made as to how we go about that. But a big part of what needs to change is how we educate the coaches coming out. Because I see what I had to do to get a full-time role. And then that took me 
six years before I got a full-time salary out of SNC. It was probably longer for you. Yeah. I made my own full-time role. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like the only people who did it kind of went and created it. Like if you look at the private sector in South Australia, as far as I'm aware, I only know of two places that have full-time salaried SNCs. We're one of them. So, and the other place has got one. So it's one of those terribly difficult places to make it. And I think how we tell people how to go about making it is largely wrong. It's kind of still way too much. If you get a degree, you get a job. That is demonstrably bullshit in SNC. Like you two got your job before your degree, so it was wrong for you. And I had a degree way before I had a job. So I think we've got to flip the model on its head. I feel like the whole... Sorry guys, there's a little hiccup there with the podcast. Um, me and Adam were just discussing current university degrees and how the um, how they go with helping you get a career in SNC. I think like that we're in a way we're on the right path. We've got some things really good and we've got some things not quite right. It's not like the the system isn't broken. It's just set up backwards. I think we've used an allied health template to create a job that isn't allied health. I think if you look at like the crosser, all of the allied health degrees follow a template. That makes sense if you're in an allied health industry. But when you do an exercise sports science degree, the work that most people are going into that aiming to get into later doesn't look anything practically like allied health. And I wonder if we could tweak the degree. Because I, I do think it's a job that probably requires a degree, but it requires a lot more practical element in the degree. And I feel like the, the teaching curriculum at uni is probably a much better template than the allied health one because there's a lot more practical experience there's a different focus on subjects and i think speaking personally for where i went to uni it has changed and i don't know how much but there were so many wasted courses that just didn't benefit us like foundations of health like you you two remember doing that oh yeah what the hell are we doing that for lifespan growth and development bro like what is the goal here because no one in this job is going to use those courses at all there's nothing that comes out of that so let's shed that shit and actually do something useful and spend that on a practicum instead where you can send kids out and get them more experience. And hopefully that does improve as the private sector increases, the high school sector increases, and we got more places. Because there is somewhat of a logjam. If you send 200 kids in an exercise science degree out to placement, there's only so many places, especially in Adelaide, that they can go. Ooh, yeah. So as we get more places, hopefully we can do more placements. But I think... All of that creates a difficulty getting in. And I know, like all the guys I know that were in full-time were doing. You two are literally the only two I know that went straight into full-time SNC after or during a degree. I don't know anyone else who did that in Australia. I know Americans who did over there, but their sector is completely different. I will touch on if you are coming out of the degree, if you do get a job or if you do go training people privately, please, please charge a decent amount. I don't care if you're the shittest coach going around, please charge a decent amount. The reason being is, look what's happened to the retail sector. Everyone is trying to undercut themselves. Let's go Amazon, let's go Costco, let's go Walmart. And what happens? There's only a few big players that remain and there's not enough for everyone. The SNC industry is doing exactly that and it hurts us and it hurts everyone coming into it because it becomes impossible to get into a monopoly. If it doesn't make sense why we're so heavily critical of undercharging, read Zero to One by Peter Thiel. He does a really good job of explaining it, but the race to the bottom benefits nobody and screws everybody. 
And if you are saying that you shouldn't be charging it off, someone is telling you that you shouldn't be charging too much because it's something they do as a passion, that is fucking shit. I'm sorry. That is shit. If you you're doing something both. as a passion. It's just a false dichotomy. I actually get where they're coming from, but it's a false dichotomy. It's like this random, you can't do both. Real estate people like selling. That doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't be paid a decent commission for selling something. Correct. I think that's a big part of the barriers with like, there are jobs for people in SNC like you created yours and you thus created the other three that are here now but you've got to come to terms with the fact that selling is involved and one of the very best coaches i've ever met who is the most experienced coach i've ever met said to me he's in a club and said if you don't think my job involves selling then you haven't tried to have soccer players do any amount of weight training so the reality is sales is a necessary part of the job and even if you don't want to do frontline business sales that's cool i get where you're coming from but one you got to and two what you learn in researching that stuff will benefit your coaching anyway what other industries are there out there that you reckon do it purely for passion they don't want they don't want to get paid for it we need to call ourselves a charity and then maybe we can get away with it but unfortunately even charities make money if you're willing to do it for free i know some coaches that do other stuff now like they've kind of moved across over time or out of necessity whatever that just do a little bit of volunteering on site and that's fine but if you want to take a salary ever from this job then you have to come to terms with it you will charge for what you get i think it's hard as well touching on a few things we talked about today is backing how much you should be charging as well as dealing with imposter syndrome thinking why would anyone come to me and why would they pay that much for my service I, I actually think that's a really powerful point because I think sometimes I've definitely seen it and locally as well where I've seen really good coaches massively undercharge because imposter syndrome. They're kind of like, oh, I don't. And one of them, one of the best coaches I know locally articulated that to me of I don't feel like I can charge that and offer that service. And I was like, dude, let's cut that shit right now. But that's how it goes. Like some people are coming up from that point of view. So mixing all of these problems into one solution can be terribly difficult but there's a reason that there's a market rate in every single service in the western societies like the market rate exists for a reason so i think it's really important that you kind of come to terms with the money side of the equation because you, you're going to create also much bigger problems outside of strength and conditioning for yourself if you don't address that problem there's plenty of people do the opposite well don't don't know heaps but i've heard of people charging hundred dollars hundred twenty dollars for half an hour or two hundred dollars for an hour yeah some people have just i've heard some people say straight up i don't i'm not working with anyone for an hour for anything less yeah and you know that's their prerogative as well but I, i think people probably sometimes it's easy to virtue signal in your own mind yeah that you're massively undercutting and i'm not talking about people who charge in like a reasonable but relatively cheap role and the last thing that I'll add, and I think this is almost unique to our industry, I'll call it the goalkeeper effect, where if you do every single thing right, your athlete's healthy, your athlete's improving, you'll get little to no recognition from it. As soon as they do an injury, or as soon as that team, that whole team has had a few results not go their way, you're out the door. And I mean out the door fast, lose your job, your athlete's left you, or you just feel miserable about yourself. Yeah. And as soon, I struggle with this on quite a consistent basis, and it is a little bit of that imposter syndrome coming in. As soon as I hear that one of my athletes is injured, I go, what is wrong with you? How dare you charge someone for a service that you're providing? 
you don't know anything, you should just quit your job right now, give up and move on to something else that you might be better at. Yeah, I get that. Uh, the first athlete of mine has actually only ever happened once, but the first time one of my guys did an ACL, I thought I was going to vomit. Like the the visceral reaction to that, I think at a certain point you kind of, it's almost like you have to get your first one out of the way because it is going to happen at some point. And I don't mean ACL specifically. I mean, one of your guys is going to get injured. It happens. This isn't something we can reduce to, you know, R equals 1.0 and then you know all the variants. Sometimes shit just happens and you do need to accept that you've done your best to move on. But accepting that in the moment can be fucking hard going. Yeah, it's funny that it's an industry where you only hear from people when you do something wrong. If you're doing, like Mickey said, you're doing everything right, everyone's happy and healthy. You just have to be happy with the fact that they are happy and healthy. No one's going to sing your praise. Yeah, um, I, I think we probably do a bad job up front of when we get to interns or whatever through it. It's like, you got to accept going into S&C that you are back row, background stuff and you should stay in the background because... I have seen coaches try and flip that script and I get why, but when you if you try and put yourself in the limelight for the praise of what went well, you have also put yourself in the spotlight of what went wrong. Yep. And there's a reason we're in the background. We have to accept that we are support staff because if we were the athletes we'd be playing, not coaching them, then we don't have a say in all the good stuff and we don't have a say in all the bad stuff because I've worked with teams where things went terribly right and we won premierships and I've worked with teams where we went terribly wrong and got relegated and the SNC programs didn't differ that much in quality. The quality of the players will have far more to do with winning than anything else you find and you can't take all the credit for the good nor all the blame for the bad. But when your athletes get hurt internally, you are going to give yourself all of the blame. I hate to say it as much. We're not allowed to take any... We're, we almost look selfish for taking any part of the success story of the athlete if they make it to the next level or if they win and I'll, I'll be honest that's probably true but if they get hurt we're we're the reason that they got hurt yeah and I hate that uh, it, it, in some instances it might be true yeah and hey, that's probably maybe that's, me that's an important thing to remember sometimes it is like I've made mistakes that led to I remember writing a rehab report at Coburg because that was part of my job and in the reason for injury tab I wrote rehab coaches incompetence and that was mine because I fucked up and the kid got hurt you have to accept it. And like we talked about before with the imposter syndrome, reflect honestly, say, okay, I did this wrong and I'm not going to do that again. So, irks, I'm sorry, bro, but I learned from it. You know what I mean? So that's how it goes. We, we talk fuck up. So you just got to learn from your facts and move on. That's exactly right. And we talked about this last week is being with an athlete that is injured, whether that's your fault or not, is a great way to be with someone who's vulnerable and build those relationships. Correct. And I think... You'll learn a lot about a person during that time. And hey, when right. you, if you walk up to someone and say, when they say, because a lot of the athletes are going to say, why did this happen? And when you say, we overlooked something in your rehab and it was me that was responsible for your rehab, that's the most honest answer. It's the right answer. And how they react is a learning experience from now. And they might say, I get it, we all make mistakes. And they might well say, fuck you, I'm going to work with someone else. That's how it goes. And that's it. They either walk and find someone else or if they stay with you, they... You, you built more respect for each other because A, you've injured them and they've been like, I trust you enough to go again and B, they respect you because you've owned up to your mistake and then you turn around and say, let's not let this happen again. That's it. Because owning up to it, they know that you could have hidden. They know that you could have found a way to hide that behind someone else, behind random chance. Like, 
you have to be honest with it yourself and everybody else I think that's it guys if you learn anything from this please give it a share make sure that you get in contact with us and tell us something about some of your challenges we might not have touched on everything I'm sure there's other challenges that we can go on it is one of the most rewarding industries I know that we've been very glim today it is one of the most rewarding industries that you can work on work in if you have a passion for especially if you love sport get into it understand there are challenges but there are ways around it too so from the team and I guys enjoy your day ciao